Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Before we start the show, I want to let you know something. My latest novel, Personal Fable, is free for the next uh, few days. So if you're hearing this ad, it's currently free if you're a Kindle user. So just look it up on your Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can even get one of those for free by getting the free Kindle app on your phone. And then head over, get Personal Fable, have a read, and if you love it, leave a review. And I hope you love the story. Now, let's get on with the podcast. P.S. The promotion runs the 11th, 12th, and 13th of March. Welcome back, Hemming Faces, to Book 5, Chapter 17 of The War and Peace Hemingway List Extravaganza. Are there any interesting parallels you notice between the current global pandemic? and the way the hospital's treating the typhus outbreak. Oh yeah, by the way, this discussion prompt is from one year ago, so that discussion prompt would have been on April the 9th, 2020, when the global pandemic outbreak was very much the biggest thing going on. Um, So if that, I mean, the pandemic is still happening, but that question does seem a little bit outdated now. Um... And doesn't seem as relevant. Like the typhus outbreak doesn't really, to me, seem that related to a pandemic, to this pandemic. Uh, What do you think about the way the patients are regarded in the hospital? Do you think Tolstoy was making a point about common slash poor people? Ripster66 says, Well, I happen to live in the US and in an area that aggressively tried to contain and treat COVID-19 early on, so I don't see... Any similarities to the hospital in War and Peace, thankfully. Medical staff worked around the clock to treat COVID patients and prevented the spread by limiting people's access to the hospital. Rostov still walked right into the hospital to meander along the sick. The doctor in War and Peace was stretched pretty thin and had too many patients to care for. That certainly happened at the worst of the surges during this pandemic. Yeah, but he was just beyond any hope. He had 400 patients more than 400 patients to him just for him no one else to back him up no other doctors and then any doctors that came were just dying so he was just kind of resigned i think he was just like yep you know yeah he's probably dead yep everyone's dead 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 dead. we're all dead dead people that was his attitude he was just so over it and i think fair enough too one hand one hand will said well this was an incredibly bleak chapter yeah tell me about it Feels like every time we return to the war sections, things are worse. I would be surprised if Tolstoy let Denisov die off stage after all the time we've spent with him, but it would certainly be tragic. I've definitely grown to appreciate him as a character, and I'm invested in his relationship with the Rostovs. And Fragrant Squirrel 99 said, This chapter definitely makes me thankful for the time in which I am alive. To have hospitals staffed, medical supplies at the fingertips usually people taken care of in love mostly and medical advancements made all the time i'm sad for the state of which many of these soldiers had to spend their last days oh yeah horrible last days um reminds me a little bit of midnight in paris a woody allen film great film um the owen wilson one and he's dreaming about like living in a better time the golden age and fantasizing about how great that would be but then of course um it's like 
uh, he, he, infantilizing in that way, he's forgetting how awful medical treatment was and how limited it was. Um, and so, you know, we live in a pretty good time. I think was the point. Anyway, uh, chapter... What are we up to? 18. Chapter 18? I guess it's chapter 18. Chapter 18 goes like this. Going along the corridor, the assistant led Rostov to the officer's wards consisting of three rooms, the doors of which stood open. There were beds in these rooms and the sick and wounded officers were lying or sitting on them. Some were walking about the rooms in hospital dressing gowns. The first person Rostov met in the officer's ward was a thin little man with one arm who was walking about the first room in a nightcap and hospital dressing gown with a pipe between his teeth. Rostov looked at him, trying to remember where he had seen him before. See where we've met again, said the little man. Tushin, Tushin, don't you remember? You gave... Who gave you a lift at Shongaburn? And I've had a bit cut off, you see. He went on with a smile, pointing to the empty sleeve of his dressing gown. Looking for Vasily Dmitriev Denisov, my neighbour, he added, when he heard Rostov, who Rostov wanted. Here, here. And Tushin led him into the next room, from whence came several sounds of several laughing voices. How can they laugh or even live at all here, thought Rostov, still aware of that smell of decomposing flesh that had been so strong in the soldier's ward, and still seeming to see fixed on him those envious looks which had followed him out from both sides, and the face of that young soldier with eyes rolled back. Denisov lay asleep on his bed with his head under his blanket, though it was nearly noon. Ah, Wostov, how are you, how are you, he called out, still in the same voice as in the regiment. But Rostov noticed sadly that under his habitual ease and animated, some new sinister hidden feeling showed itself in the expression of Denisov's face and the intonations of his voice. His wound, though a slight one, had not yet healed, even now, six weeks after he had been hit. His face had the same swollen pallor as the faces of the other hospital patients, but it was not this that struck Rostov. What struck him was that Denisov did not seem glad to see him and smiled at him unnaturally. He did not ask about the regiment, nor about the general state of affairs, and when Rostov spoke of these matters, did not listen. Rostov even didn't notice that Denisov did not like to be reminded of the regiment, or in general, of that other free life which was going on outside the hospital. He seemed to try to forget that old life and was only interested in the affair with the commissariat officers. On Rostov's inquiry as to how the matter stood, he at once produced from under his, under his pillow a paper he had received from the commission and the rough draft of his answer to it. He became animated when he began reading his paper and specially drew Rostov's attention to the stinging rejoinders he made to his enemies. His hospital companions who had gathered round Rostov, a fresh arrival from the outside, gradually began to disperse as soon as Denisov began reading his answer. Rostov noticed by their faces that all those gentlemen had already been heard, had already heard that story more than once and were tired of it. Only the man who had the next bed, a stout Ulan, continued to sit on his bed, gloomily frowning and smoking a pipe, and little one-armed Tushin still listened, shaking his head disapprovingly. In the middle of the reading, the Ulan interrupted Denisov, but what I say is, he said, turning to Rostov, it would be best simply to petition the Emperor for pardon. They say great rewards will now be distributed, and surely a pardon would be granted. My petition to Emperor, exclaimed Denisov, in a voice to which he tried hard to give the old energy and fire, but which sounded like an expression of irritable impotence, 
What for? If I were wobbed, I would ask mercy, but I am being court-martialed for bringing wobbers to book. Let them twy me, I am not afraid of anyone. I have served the Tsar and my country honourably, and have not stolen, and I am to be degraded? Listen, I am whiting to them, straight. This is what I say. If I had wobbed the treasury, it's certainly well written, said Tushin, but that's not the point, Vasily Dmitrich. And he also turned to Rostov. One has to submit, and Vasily Dmitrich doesn't want to. You know, the auditor told you it was a bad business. Well, let it be bad, said Denisov. The auditor wrote out a petition for you, continued Tushin, and you ought to sign it and ask this gentleman to take it. No doubt he, indicating Rostov, has connections on the staff. You won't find a better opportunity. Haven't I said I'm not going to grovel? Denisov interrupted him, went on reading the paper. His paper. Rostov had not the courage to persuade Denisov, though he instinctively felt that the way he advised that the the way advised by Tushin and the other officers was the safest, and though he would be glad to be of service to Denisov, he knew his stubborn will and straightforwardness, straightforward hasty temper. When the reading of Denisov's virulent reply, which took more than an hour, was over, Rostov said nothing, and he spent the rest of the day in the most dejected state of mind amid Denisov's hospital comrades, who had gathered around him, telling them what he knew and listening to their stories. Denisov was moodily silent all the evening. Late in the evening, when Rostov was about to leave, he asked Denisov whether he had no commission for him. Yes, wait a bit, said Denisov, glancing round at the officers. And taking his paper from under his pile, he went to the window where he had an ink pot and sat down to write. Ignore that ding noise, that was just the computer dinging. It seems it's no use knocking one's head against a wall, he said, coming from the window and giving Rostov a large envelope. In it was the petition to the emperor drawn up by the auditor in which Denisov, without alluding to the offences of the commissariat officials, simply asked for pardon. Handed in, it seems he did not finish but gave a painfully unnatural smile. All right, there's a chapter for you. Eek, Rostov, still in the sick ward with his buddies, but it looks like Denisov isn't too bad off. And how's old Tushin missing an arm? All right, have your say, and I'll see you tomorrow.